0: What makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit gocoastguard.com to learn more. Hey, this is Debbie Gibson, and I can't wait for you to hear my incredible conversation with Ken Levine on Hollywood and Levine.
1: That's right, Debbie Gibson right here on Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is part two of my two-parter with Debbie. So if you missed part one after you listen to this one, go back and check that one out. Debbie Gibson, as you know, huge pop star in the late 80s. She was the youngest female artist to write, produce, and perform a Billboard Hot 100 number one single, which was Foolish Beat. She was also named the Songwriter of the Year in 1989. But she's done other things. And we're going to talk a lot about those other things here in this episode. She starred on Broadway. She was in a number of reality shows, including Celebrity Apprentice. Uh, She also has done movies, but they're not the kind of mainstream movies that you're used. No, they're not those kind of movies. They're just very weird, fun, Sharknado-type movies pictures. Anyway, a lot to talk about with Debbie Gibson this week on Hollywood and Levine. So you had that period where your career took off like a rocket. Yeah. You had one huge hit after another. Um, I assume it was great fun. It was exhausting. It was confusing. Did you feel a lot of pressure to just keep it going? either from the record company or just from yourself to just keep it going?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's two things that, well, first of all, you were allowed back then to take an actual break and then hibernate and record and then come back. Whereas now it's almost more like you have to, like if you're missing from social media for a week, people are like, are you okay? (laughs) Um, So there was a little more like, it was more seasonal back then. You were like, I'm writing now, I'm recording now, I'm touring now. So even though there was like this feeling of keeping it going, that part wasn't so bad. I think what you said though is true. Like I it was confused. the thing of the thing that was confusing is I thought I was supposed to act like I psychologically had it all under control and knew what was happening when in fact you're not wired as a teenager to Know how to be running a business and to be to be so accountable is very unnatural at that age. And again, I was I, an
1: idiot just, at that age. I was just a complete idiot.
0: And you know, like I, yeah, I mean, most people are figuring out what they want to do with their lives, and they're going to college. And I was just, I was, I think the confusing part was, I was always an old soul and a and a and a grown up when it came to my career. But I had this arrested development thing and still do <laughs> on a personal level. So, like, I always, um, I mean, I literally looked at my dogs before and said out loud to them, okay, mommy's about to do some grown up things right now. Like, I was like, registering them for something on it anyway I laugh, but like I still always feel like I don't know how to run my life but I know how to run my career (laughs) like I don't know how to pick up after myself because I had you know hotels and assistants on the road and so like my, my life's always like a little out of balance that way but I've embraced the fact that that's just that is me and that is the way it is um so yeah, there's there's some yeah, there's definitely a price you pay for trying to be a superhero as a as a kid. You know, when
1: you oh, sure. I'm
0: fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Don't want to appear don't want to appear ungrateful, so I'm never so much as gonna say I have a headache. I'm never gonna say I need a day off. I'm never gonna I never wanna seem like I'm complaining. And so, you know, that's that's a big torch to carry, you know, that's a big cross to bear. And so, and even now I say that night in my, the, the, the voice in my head says, oh God, I hope anyone listening doesn't think I'm complaining. Again, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it, it comes with a specific set of psychological issues that you realize later in life that you have to deal with. And now I feel super psychologically in tune, very self-aware. I have no problem saying no. As you know, It took us a while to schedule this because I have learned the value of pace in my life. I would rather have a day where I'm bored than too many days in a row where I'm running to keep up because there's just too much of a price to pay for that.
1: So you expanded and moved on to theater, which is something you had always done. But you were on Broadway in Les Mis. You were on Broadway in Beauty and the Beast. And um, and this was a thing I read, and if it's true, it's like wow! Um, you did Greece in London, in the West End, and eight hundred people auditioned for the same part, and you got it. Wow! Yeah,
0: I mean that sounds about right. They they had cast every role except Sandy. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think that show's been set up in such a way, obviously, because of Olivia Newton-John. They wanted, like, that pop theater. I was the pop theater girl at that moment. I mean, so it was interesting because it was offered to me on Broadway. But on Broadway, Sandy... The, and I eventually played Rizzo in the Broadway National Touring Company that the Weisslers did. And I loved it. But Rizzo was really the featured role in the U.S., And Sandy was the featured role in the UK. And because Robert Stigwood was was producing the UK version and he produced the original movie, they used all the film music, um, which which was important to me playing Sandy. I was like, I can't play Sandy and not sing Hopelessly Devoted to You. So, yeah, so it was incredible. I did 17 musicals in 17
1: years. Wow. Uh,
0: Between regional, West End, national tours. I did several national tours. The Joseph tour with with the Osmonds and Patrick Cassidy was nine months on the road. Uh, I did Cinderella with Eartha Kitt, which was like six months on the road. I did the Greece National tour for six months. I did. I mean, I could go on Funny Girl, and so I was just, I was like addicted to checking off every role that was on my Broadway wish list at that point. That's in how time. I first
1: met you when you did Company. At UCLA. Yes. Yeah. Oh my
0: gosh. Another hundred people just got off of the train and came up through the ground wall. another hundred people just got up. Oh my gosh. Some fan asked me to sing that recently. And I was like, was I swimming 30 laps a day to have the lung power to do that song? Because <laughs> And it is, it's like when you do theater. So I have some friends like, you know, I did Grease with Sutton Foster and we're not like close right now, but I consider her, uh, you know, a, a peer because we toured together and, uh, Mark Kudish, who's a big Broadway star. These are people who have, like, maintained their Broadway chops year after year after year after year. And I'm always like, that is, it's like being an Olympic athlete for your entire life.
1: Yeah. and Eight shows in no, a week.
0: Yeah, I have no problem admitting, like, that is actually not my level of stamina right now. Like, I have to do, I have to hit it and quit it. I need downtime or times where even like, so I did the mixtape tour last year with New Kids, Tiffany, salt and Peppa, and Naughty by Nature. And even though that was 56 um, dates and it was only 10 weeks, it was really grueling. But when you're singing your own pop music and there's like a built-in mania to the crowd and the microphones this close to your face and there's songs that you wrote. So you could change a note. You could go sing with me. You could, there's a freedom (laughs) to that. That's not, it's not nerve wracking at all. It's way less nerve wracking than standing on a Broadway stage. And then I have friends in the pop world that have never done Broadway. And they're like, Oh yeah, Broadway, you're singing like seven. You're not, it's not all you singing for two hours and it's not a no." You have a tiny microphone under your wig. You have to, you have to belt it out. Like there is no, there's no smoke and mirrors. I mean, you're like so naked on that stage. And, and because you're part of a cast, it's not like, well, if I suck, it's Debbie Gibson's name on the marquee and they go, they go back and they go, Debbie Gibson sucked tonight. And that's just, that's all on me. I can take it. But you don't want to let down your cast. You don't want to let down these people that have paid this huge ticket price. Everyone's sitting still and quiet, which is like my worst nightmare. I'm an adrenaline girl. So like the first night I did on my own in La Miz, and I'm like, on my own. And it's these people, people are in tuxedos and they're dead quiet. And everyone's heard Francis Raphael do it. And the expectations are so high mm. that... I have to be prepared to be, I I was a nervous wreck for those months that I did Les Mis. I mean, it was just, I was like, I was worn out and I thrilled that I did it, but I cannot maintain that level of perfection for like month after month and year after year. Like that's where my Broadway friends amaze me.
1: Yeah, and well, you did Funny Girl Mm -hmm. and of course the comparison to Streisand (laughs) That, that too is, you know, a big undertaking.
0: Well, and I had sung for Julie Stein before he passed and he, he gave his wife the okay to cast me, which is like mind blowing. And the thing is on a good day at that time, I was like 25, 26 years old. On a good day, I could hit those notes and on not a good day, I didn't hit those notes. So when I auditioned, the adrenaline of it was like "Don't on my parade." I mean, I was belting to the high heavens, and then I was like, "I get the role," and I was like, "Oh my god!" Now I have to learn how to do this eight times a week and on the road. That's a whole other thing because uh, now you're not in your own apartment, you're not in your own environment. You're like in a different hotel room, trying to figure out, you know, and your sleep is off, and you're, you know, it's all these elements. I've I've never done well with all of those elements on the road. And so I was like, shoot. So I was like, I need a, I need a different voice teacher. So I had studied with the same voice teacher since I was a teenager who I loved, but I wanted to layer on top of what she taught me. So I went to Broadway shows and I was like, who has the best voices on Broadway? And they all came back to one teacher who was Joan Later. And Joan later now, you know, you know, like she teaches Madonna. She trained Anne Hathaway for for Fontaine for the movie. Hugh Jackman goes to her. Like you bump into everybody in and out of a lesson. And I called her and I knew she was overbooked. And I was like, I left her a message. And this, this is, I think, why I got the role of Fanny Bryce. Because Fanny Bryce says, you know, Please, please, Mr. Ziegfeld, I'll you know, I just let put me on tonight. You know, I'll do anything, whatever that whole she it was it was that energy. I called Joan and I said, I know you're overbooked. Not only do I need you to see me once a week, I need you to see me twice a week. (laughs) Or, Or I will fall on my face doing the role of Fanny Price. So she understood how, how dedicated I was. And she liked my tenacity and she said, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I will juggle and I will sit you in. And so, and I think that, you know, to this day, like that's what you want to see on, in a Broadway. That's what I want to go see. I don't want to see someone singing at me. That's, I love to do in cabaret because they cast so many actors in that role who weren't necessarily vocalists. But you sh- and and you know, I recently talked about this with Emily Hampshire from Shit's Creek because she performed the role of Sally Bowles as her character Stevie uh-huh. on the show, and she said it's always been her dream to do that role. And she said, "You know, but I'm not the best vocalist." And I was like, "Yeah, but so, like I actually, I yes, I enjoy belting a note and having it ring in the room, but." I would, I would get choked up to the point of tears during the song Cabaret. It wasn't about making it sound pretty. And I would even, I always say that that's the one role I would do right now. I would, if they called me to do it on this tabletop, I'd say I'm in. Because I think the more experience you get in life, the better you, you are at playing certain roles. And that's one of them. Sure. And when Emily did it on the show, it was heartbreaking and beautiful. And her doing it as her character who hadn't found love yet for herself and... And all of those things, it was like, it was so moving. And and I find that even, like, in my music now that I'm writing and getting ready to release, hopefully I'd say next year, there's a more visceral quality, you know, to... Again, it's not about... it. It's about telling a story and, and having people feel things.
1: Right, and it where you are so. in your life.
0: Absolutely. So- and that's what doing all that theater has now taught me. And again, I go back to, like... Maybe Julie Stein and his wife saw something in me that was, I am a modern day Fanny Bryce. I am going to talk the director into giving me an extra song. I, I talked to the producer of Atlantic Records' 40th anniversary at Madison Square Garden for HBO. I talked him into giving me another song at the sound check because I said, "Listen, I'm performing between Led Zeppelin and the Who." And if I come out there dancing around in my high tops and the the audience doesn't see that I'm a musician, I'm going to get booed off the stage. And he was like, okay, all right, all right, I'll give you... And so you know what that means. like To get four minutes on a national TV show in front of millions of people. But like, Mm -hmm. I... And then I would have go and have an anxiety attack in my dressing room. But I'd have the balls enough in the moment to ask for what I wanted. So... Again, that was where I resonated with that character, Fanny Bryce, you know, and Sally Bowles. It's like playing an insecure showbiz woman as a showbiz woman is a great exploration of of oneself. So I just love, you know, I'm a very lucky girl to have done, to have had the theater experiences I have had. And that production accompany, company, you know, I saw Judith Light last week on a Zoom and I remembered how incredible she was in it and um and backstage one day before a performance she said i was just listening to lost in your eyes on my way can you play it for me and i played it for her and people gathered around and it was such a great moment i was like judith light was listening to me in her car like that's crazy (laughs)
1: because
0: she's just she's such a class act But yeah so i've just been really honored to I pinch myself at the experiences I've had and the people I've gotten to work with.
1: So you started out, you're Debbie Gibson, and then Mm -hmm. for a while you were Deborah Gibson, and now you're back.
0: Yeah, so the precursor to that is, before I was Debbie Gibson, I was only Deborah. Like, I could show you my theater programs from when I was a kid and I was Deborah, but Deborah Gibson's not as catchy as Debbie Gibson. And, And the label Atlantic was like, how about Debbie G? And I'm like, that sounds like I'm going to have one dance hit and disappear. So forget that we're just Debra. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, let's not go with the one name. Um, and so when we eventually came around to Debbie Gibson, I was like, I'll take it. At least that's like some incarnation of my actual name. So it was always awkward. Cause the very first time I ever had to say to someone, I'm Debbie, it had, it had never come out of my mouth till, till my record was out. And then when I got more into the theater phase of my career, the little theater girl in me, who was Deborah, who was doing the the Belmore Jewish production of Gypsy and the Eisenhower Park production of Annie Get Your Gun, that little girl was living the Broadway dream. And it felt like the name being the same. It was meaningful to me. I, I was kind of aware that it was confusing to the public, but I didn't care because personally that just represented that chapter for me. And even like, you know, I did the, my album that was simply called Deborah, and my diehard fans always knew I preferred Deborah. They always noticed on my, early, my earlier records, the writing credits said Deborah and the artist credits said Debbie. And so it kind of became a personal thing. And then all of a sudden I was like, now Debbie feels like it could be a new chapter to me and can be an homage to that, extremely successful pop chapter and I'm ready for that again. And now it feels like a sexy name and not a cutesy name. And so I have had a whole new relationship with the name. And I, in certain circumstances, I introduce myself as Deb and others, Deborah and others, Debbie, but I actually do use the Debbie now, like even newer friends call me Debbie and that's fine. And I'm like, okay, the name kind of, you know, names belong to us, but they also kind of belong to other people. Like, belong to the person that's saying it. So Mm -hmm. I just, now I'm like, whatever. Now I just answer to hey you. It's (laughs) all (laughs) good. Yo, Gibson. Uh, Yeah. What's up? All right.
1: I'm going to uh, talk about your acting career and a couple of these uh, amazing titles that, that you were in Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, and then Mega Python versus Gatoroid.
0: Yeah. So I was at the, you know, I was like in the, in the shark movie world before the shark movies blew up. And so the funny thing is, so my agent, David Shapira, who I love, who's total old school guy, like Mm -hmm. one of the original kind of, you know, he still has his little corner office in Beverly Hills and he's been my agent for years. He knew that I wanted to do, like, I'd done some independent films but he knew that you know you knew that I want you you kind of like can't learn the film medium until you're actually doing it in my opinion and and I, and I always studied as well, but until you're on a set, you don't know what the, you don't know, right So I was like, get I was always like very much in denial that I had a name brand because I wanted to go hide and do stuff too and have it not be seen <laughs> so <laughs> so he calls me, and he's like. So I have this little movie. They're not paying much. They would need you on set in like two weeks. It was like literally like really quick. And, you know, it's on the sci-fi network and no one will ever see it. And you're going to play a scientist and you're going to be driving a submarine. And I was like, oh my God, that sounds too ridiculously fun to pass up, right? So I go and I do it and it's a blast and um, everybody working on it, super nice. It kind of reminded me of theater because everyone's there to play. It's like doing a play, <laughs> you know. Um, and um, the trailer comes out, and in the blink of an eye, gets a half a million views because a shark jumps out of the ocean and eats the San Francisco the the, the, big, the big bridge, the Big Bridge, the uh,
1: Golden Gate Bridge.
0: Thank you. The Golden Gate Bridge. So, you know, of course, I'm like, oh, my God, no one was supposed to see this movie. So now I'm getting invited to do like Comic-Con type, like, you know, autograph shows and festivals. (laughs) I'm like, hey, this is cool. So then they call and they go, now we want to do one with you and Tiffany. So I was like, okay, that's awesome. So then I see that there's this like dynasty-esque food fight in it this scene where we both end up in a swamp and wearing hot dresses saving the planet i'm like what male exec mastermind dreamt this up but anyway signed on to do it because i like kitschy things i think i think the world needs escapism and i i will gladly be a part of it so i did that one and went on and on and on and then you know one of my biggest dreams is always to be on hallmark because I think Hallmark makes such incredible movies again that are so um look there, there's there's going to be a happy ending, and we 're living in a world right now that just doesn't always have a happy ending so um cultivated that relationship, and I came up with the idea of playing a character like loosely based on me, but if my life and career had gone really awry, and one of my favorite lines in that movie. <clears throat> Was um, I said? Uh, I guess I've been spending money I didn't know I didn't have, <laughs> which is like <laughs> every good line. Of our story at some point. And so I, you know, I took a lot of what was real. Like I was promoting a karaoke microphone for a Korean company at one point, and they sent me to this Costco that had no idea I was coming, and they didn't promote it. So I literally were like setting up the stage. I'm like on oh, the stage. There's no people there to see me now. I've, at this point, I've already played Madison Square Garden. I've already headlined Broadway. But the way showbiz goes is, you find yourself in these very funny situations. So you have to leave your ego at the door. And so I'm singing. I'm singing "Lost in Your Eyes" to uh, a, an empty Costco. On this rinky-dink karaoke (laughs) microphone, and this guy walks by with a um, shopping cart full of toilet paper, and I'm like, "I get lost. Sorry about that issue, man. Hope gets better in your eyes, you know." And I'm like, completely amusing myself. So the opening scene of my first Hallmark movie, Summer of Dreams, is me performing, and I'm getting ready for a show, and I'm nervous, and you don't know what I'm getting ready for, and I'm in my sequin jacket, and I'm singing, "Only in My Dreams." And you pan out and I'm singing to an empty mattress store for the opening of the mattress store. And so anyway, so I had a lot of fun with that. Did a sequel with them. Um, and, um, wink wink and I may or may not be able to say what I'm doing next, but I'm, I'm working on some different movie projects with a couple of different, in a couple of different places. And one of my favorite things, and you can relate to this cause you're a creator. I just love, I love, you know, dreaming something up in my head and, and seeing it to fruition. So it's a new part of my life where I get to exec produce, oversee music, appear as an actor and combine all my passions. And that was super fun. Cause I got to combine like my original hits with new music and kind of, you know, a marriage of who I am and who I was and like uh, I'm very into being self deprecating at the same time. So I just got to do a lot of wink, wink, <laughs> to the, to the audience. And, um, and so that's a continuing part of my journey in the next couple of years.
1: Ever go to a karaoke bar and, uh, under an assumed name, sign up to sing one of your songs and then get up there and look at the audience going like, wow, wow. She I, sounds know, like I the person.
0: One of my own, but I remember, I think it was in Boston. I was doing Chicago, the musical. And I, one of my favorite things to do is. I think I did it again. Made you believe you're more than just friends. I'll bet it. So I get up and do my best, Britney. So that was a little like, huh? <laughs> um, but no, I haven't done my. But you know what I did? I did that once. Remember when there were like amusement parks with you could go and record to a karaoke track, yep. mm-hmm. and there was like a window. I did "Foolish Beat" in one of those ones, and so kids were like walking by, like. So yes, I did a version of that.
1: <laughs> you also did some reality shows. Skating yes. with the stars and dancing with the stars, et cetera.
0: <laughs> skating with celebrities was with Kurt Browning, which was incredible. And this is again, I remember like my team at the time saying, Is this good for perception? Is this bad for perception? And I was like, you know what? You can never predict that stuff anyway. So I just want to do it because when do you get to have a world champion skater teach you ice skating? Like, that to me was the coolest thing. Um, to this day, I go to chiropractors and they're like, Have you fallen on your head and your tailbone? And you're, I'm like, All of the above. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I have. Yes, I have done some crazy stunts in my life falling um,
1: with the stars.
0: Falling with the stars, yes. And Celebrity Apprentice, I did, which let me tell you, that I turned down several times because I was like, mm, I don't think I'm into running around Manhattan like on no sleep and you know in in kind of that psychological like fishbowl. But ultimately, I was at a point in my life where I did not have a ton of money, and you. Don't, I'm not going to the point. You don't get paid to do it, really. But I was like, I was really into raising money for children and international, and I won my task, which was crazy because you're so sleep deprived by that point, and it's so surreal. Like the camera, I felt like Cindy Brady on the on the spelling bee episode. Like you see the red light, and you lose your entire memory, <laughs> like you go blank. <laughs> and so the fact that I won, and I won fifty thousand dollars sorry, I'm looking at two of my dogs under the table here and they're both curled up in their head-to-head and it's the cutest thing in the entire world. Um, I won $50,000 for Children International, which sounds like a lot of money, but not a lot of money for what they... They built an entire new center in India with that money. And oh, I was just so... Thank you. And, and the minute I was done with that, I think I checked out. Like I was like, all right, I am not shrewd enough to go to the end. I don't want to put myself through any more sleep deprivation or torture. I think I did what I came here to do. And like very shortly thereafter, I got quote unquote fired. And you can see in the episode, I literally said, until anyone can fire me from being Debbie Gibson, I don't know what I just got fired from. (laughs) Like, it's just (laughs) kind of funny that like, technically you really didn't even hire me. Like you fired me, but you know, I chalk things like that up to, it was an experience. And I did dancing with the stars for a very different reason, Um, which was, um, you know, I was in the throes of dealing with Lyme disease and it was very humbling because I felt like, well, at a time where I was doing like cabaret on Broadway, I could have won dancing with the stars. And then I went through a phase where I couldn't even ride a bicycle. I went through a phase where I was in wheelchairs and airports with a baseball cap over my head, praying no one would see me because I didn't want anyone imprinting that. And I can say it now that that's done and that I'm through that. And today I did a workout in my house and I go, wow. And, you know, I used to take it for granted. I was working out every day, dancing every day. Now I do a workout and I feel good and I'm very proud. Um, I feel an extreme sense of accomplishment, and if anyone's out there listening who has been through any kind of chronic illness, they know what I mean, and I really felt like, well, this is another story I have to tell, and this is another way I can inspire people, and I will never I, – I could really cry just talking about it because <clears> – <throat> within like my first two weeks of doing it, a woman who was dealing with, I want to say might be MS, it might be lupus, but dealing with, you know, chronic, chronic illness. She, um, she said I was inspired to get on a treadmill today and it was like,
1: oh. Oh, very you know, cool.
0: it, it just, yeah. And if it was that one person, I felt like my mission was done, accomplished, you know? And I, and I always felt that way, I felt that way with, when I wrote the song, Electric Youth, I thought, I want to empower young people uh, with dancing with the stars. I was like, I want to show people you can overcome something. And it's not, it doesn't, again, that type A perfectionist thing that somehow was drummed into me as a kid, but I don't know by who, because it wasn't my mom, it wasn't my dad. I don't, you just... Grow up thinking you're supposed to be perfect, and and, and so and showbiz kind of does that to you. And then I just found equal gratification in getting the message out there that it was really good to drop all that, you know, and make your make your accomplishments and your goals personal. And don't and again, I I bring up my therapist. I do my therapy sessions all the time, and he'll say, "How are you?" And I'll go, "Well, you know, compared to last," he goes, "Why are you comparing?" Don't put, a, don't put everything in a context. Just, like, wake up and be where you are today and let that be enough. And it's such an incredibly valuable life lesson.
1: That's right. That and we all have to learn and relearn every single day, it seems.
0: It's true. I mean, you know, it's, there's such a freedom in that. And, uh, um, and Dancing with the Stars. You know, I went home at a time... I, honestly... I didn't, I didn't feel like I'm a, I am a very, um, objective person. So like when I suck, I am the first, uh, like nobody has to tell me, I know that note sucked that like, I'm not in it today. I don't know what's wrong. and And it's never for a lack of trying, but we have good days and bad days. So, and I'm the first one. I did not, I did not think I was supposed to go home at that point but I also think that um, those shows have agendas you know there are storylines and I, I I'm bet. not a very good reality contestant because like the cameras wanted to come with me to my chiropractic kinesiology appointment on a day where I had a cancel rehearsal and I was falling apart I knew it might be Good for me in terms of lasting on the show another week or another week or another week, but I didn't think it was going to actually be good for me and my real life healing journey. And that's where I become very protective. That's why I've never done a cameras are following me around reality show. And I'd been offered them, and I'd been pitching them, and I've, been, but they always threw me too far off my center, even filming a pitch. I was like, I don't think life's meant to be lived on camera twenty four seven. I that's why I love theater. You're on that stage for three hours, and then your life's your own. You know, you're mm-hmm. at that stage door. You're meeting people. You've done. What you've, people are respectful. You've done what you've done on the stage. But then, then you're you know you're doing your errands in the day, and you're doing your yoga, and you're with your dogs. And so I'm actually just a very low key person ninety percent of the time. And then when it's time to turn it on, I turn it on.
1: Well, and now you've had, a, you've had a good year. Girls night I did, out. I it despite Top the pandemic. Five and- Billboard <laughs> dance charts here in the UK. Yes. You're back.
0: I mean, it was crazy. So starting last year... Last spring, the mixtape tour, when Donnie, well, when Donny Wahlberg called me to be in the New Kids Boys in the Band video, and I got to play a hot teacher, which was super fun, um, you know, off went the readers and off the clipboard and the bunts. And uh, and then, you know, he invited me on tour. And um, and then I got invited to be a judge on a Nickelodeon TV show called America's Most Musical Family with Sierra and David Dobrik and Nick Lachey. That was incredible. And then I released my single Girls Night Out. And it, well, actually, I had released it during the tour and it floundered a bit in the pop form. And then my manager, Heather, said, you know, let's go back to your dance roots. And she gave me a list of some ideas of remixers. And we looked at DJ Tracy Young, who after we got our hands on her, she won the, um, she was the first ever female to win in the remix category for Madonna. And how cool that it's a song called Girls' Night Out. I have an all-female team. Tracy came on board, gave the song a super modern, cool spin. And I had already cut a video and paid all my own money for the video. I scrapped the first video, went for a new... It was like a real process of listening. Like, okay, I haven't released anything in a really long time, so I can't half-ass it. Like, it can't be anything less than something, you know... And I love the pop version. The pop version's great. But the thing is, by the way, an eighteen year old kid who I work with named Sean Thomas produced that version, produced the vocals on the hit version.
1: Eighteen. Um, I
0: work with him all the time. He's actually nineteen now. He was eighteen at the oh, end of well, the Oh, he's nineteen. Okay.
1: Sure. Eighteen. Wow. He's
0: nineteen now. He's amazing. Um, but yeah, so but but I knew that whatever I put out had to really represent my vibe now. And I think what I realized in doing, I did the video at Planet Hollywood and, um, seasons entertainment was like instrumental in giving me like the entire casino to use. I was, I've always felt like, um, like a Cinderella. I mean, I've always just felt like, you know, so, so in the video, I wake up like I'm a businesswoman. I'm on a trip. I'm in my hotel. And when I wake up, I'm in this glamorous dress and I go to my door and these show girls lead me into this fantasy. And that's how I feel like my life is all the time. I mean, I wake (laughs) up and I look a certain way. And then, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen me on on social media, taking my trash out in high heels. I have days where I'm like, oh, should I do it today? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I transform myself from like, you know, I'm walking the dogs and cleaning the dishes and, and, and then I, I enjoy the transformation. So, um, and it's my way of, again, saying to people, especially to women, you can be vital and vibrant at any age and you can transform yourself and you can be this mom by day and go on a hot date with your man at night. And you have to make the choice to make those things happen. And, uh, um, so that was kind of the tone of the song. And then, Just the idea that there are a lot of women who feel stuck in their lives, especially at a certain age. And when women get together and they bond with their tribe, with their girls, again, they can kind of reinvigorate each other, reinvigorate themselves. And because I didn't want it to be a man-hater song, because I love men,
1: (laughs) uh, I find (laughs) that when women
0: do that, they can take that energy back to their man. And so now their man's like, honey, go out with the girls, because I know when you come back, you're going to feel great about you and so it it, all of my songs since the beginning of time I always felt like had a dual you know like they disguise themselves as being a fun cute trite anthem however if you listen to the verse lyrics and you dig a little deeper there's usually some message that's very much from my soul and it's a little more profound than maybe your average you know trite song so um, and those are the types of songs I like. To listen to too. There's a lot when people say, Oh, there's no great music out these days, I'm like, but there is. You know, you even take a young artist like Alec Benjamin, and he has a song like "If has Got Each Other and da, da, da. It's like talking about a single mom and a journey of like you have to really listen to music to get what it is. And and there's so many songs I hear that are so they 're fun, and you can dance to them, but they 're actually super profound somebody 's put a lot of thought into them, so I just love music for that reason it 's like nonstop messages getting imparted, but subconscious subliminally.
1: <laughs> well, this has really been fun. Thank you Thank so you much
0: Ken. this Thank is you great so much Hollywood
1: and, and there you go that 's our interview with Debbie Gibson. And if you would like to get in touch with me, to talk about this or anything else, my email address is HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Tune in again next week. God knows who I'll have, but I'm sure it'll be interesting. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Debbie, again, take us out.